0: You're listening to the Maker Podcast, a truly global portrait of the art of life.
1: I'm on another level.
2: There's fire that I spit, got me wrestling the devil. I'm on another level. I'm on another level.
1: I'm
2: on another level. There's fire that I spit, got me wrestling the devil. When I look back in history and think about like science and art they were always connected you know like the scientists were the artists and artists were scientists observing the world and i kind of see myself my interest kind of fitting into that sort of canon yeah like the scientist artist observer
0: for those of you who have not heard this this is going to be an introduction to the work of Ashley Baptist Clark. Built it with some friends who I've known
1: for a really long time, and we're just trying to figure out like what does it mean
2: when it's not just black people talking about black people like Black Lives Matter, you know, when right. actually, you know, other people put skin in the game and are talking about these things and making work around it. Yeah. And so that's kind of how like NSAF was born.
0: Okay. Um, so I want to back up even even higher than that. And if you can tell us where you were born and raised. Can you tell us that?
2: Yeah, I was born and raised in Pasadena, California. Okay. All
0: right. And for your education, what kind of education did you have in the background? Formal, informal? We want to know everything. Um,
2: Let's see. So I studied molecular biology at the University of California, Santa Cruz and then I moved to San Francisco and did a bridge program between San Francisco State and UCSF. So I took classes at San Francisco State and then did research at UCSF, and the idea was for me to go to a Ph.D. program there. But after I finished the master's, I was like, you know, I was the only black woman in my department. Like, I had a lot of experiences of, you know, people stopping me when I was going into my mouse room and, you know, just having me, I just felt under surveillance. And, um...
0: Hold on, you're going to have to share something with me. I I hate to cut you off, but I always do this with my guests. You just described something that's probably super basic to you, but what's a mouse room?
2: (laughs) A mouse room is, so I was doing experiments on um, bones. So, you know, we were trying to figure out what sort of genes are, you know, at play in um, dwarfism in different types oh. of like bone, osteoporosis bone diseases okay. so i had to my the model that i was working on was mouse a mouse model okay and we manipulated their genome to have for them to like have similar effects as people who you know have different bone diseases so every day i have to go down into the mouse room and like check on my mice and like do experiments with them and it's very it's like. Um, it's heavily regulated because so many there's so many like animal activists animal rights activists and like but that's how research is done you know we do it on animals so we can figure out if we can do similar things in humans okay (laughs) okay when you go into the mouse room you have to like show identification you have to do all these things in order to get in there mind you i've been in the program for two years at this point and so every day i would get um Asked for my ID in a way that my colleagues weren't. And then one day I like asked the guard, I was like, why do you do this to me? And nothing. he's like, well, because you look like you don't belong here. And like, yeah. And, he I'm said like, that, that to that was you? The, yeah, that was the moment where I was like, well, like I'm working this hard, like doing all this stuff, you know, trying to get um, into a field that really, like science, is, these types of conversations are only starting to be had in that industry. And so. It was difficult. I was like, wow, this is hard, and I have no support, so I want to leave and try something else, and I'd always really been interested in art. That's what I wanted to do, but I felt like I went into science to make my parents happy. Yeah. Um, but also, I, I do, I really love science, but not in a way to warrant having to deal with that every day.
0: So um, is it is it a secondary thing, like um, the, the art comes... First because what I loved about the work that you've done, I'm, I'm only going to mention the neurospectative Afro feminism mm-hmm. aspect. I know you've probably done a million things since then, but is the art primary and the science secondary or
2: for you? For me they're intertwined. Okay. You know, I feel like whenever I think about a creative question or something, it always goes back to these kind of fundamental tenets of science and how the universe is working. Like, I feel like if I was a little better at math, I probably would have been a physicist. I just okay. like the natural world is really fascinating for me, and I when I look back in history and think about like science and art, they were always connected. You know, like the scientists were the artists, and artists were scientists and, right. like, observing the world. And I kind of see myself, my interest kind of fitting into that sort of canon.
1: Yeah,
0: with, like the scientist artist observer. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's really beautiful. I think um, you're making me think of... I just put up a podcast a few days ago of a woman who's a dermatologist, but she's also a filmmaker. So Mm -hmm. the little um, sort of vector that I put with her story is science and art. And in the center, it says wonder. You see? Oh, yeah. That's you. That's what I'm, I'm picking up from you, and I'm like, oh, okay, I see what she's doing. So these little conversations that this security guard or this person is having with you... Do you think that that drove you out of science, or did it just make you try harder? Because you're still in it; you didn't quit. Clearly,
2: I think it made me want to find a backdoor. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of I'm good at that. I'm kind of I've never been this person to to do things head on the way that you're supposed to do. But like, I see a side interest that looks more interesting to me, and I'll try to do it that way. So I was like, okay, so. I don't think I'm interested in the typical like academic route of being a scientist like you know having my own lab and doing all these things, but I still want to be able to think of, about big scientific questions and you know make work around it and get other people to think in a different way, so I think you know sometimes in sciences it's like silo yeah. where people are repeating experiments that have already been done, and you know like not taking the time to figure out why something's working or why it's not working right and so that for me is just, it's, it goes back to ego. It's like, you know, you're trying to publish all these papers and do all these things so you can get tenure um, or so you can go work for a big pharmaceutical company. And really, like, that's the
1: trajectory. There's no questioning it. And um, I think that science really has, like, an ethics problem and isn't really open to people who don't speak this jargon. Mm. And so, how I'm interested in how we can build bridges between, you know, philosophers, um,
2: artists, um, creators who can come in and try to parse apart, like, Mm -hmm. some of the issues that are happening in science.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, um, while you're telling me this, you're talking about um, physical sciences, biology, but what I'm looking at is you doing virtual reality. How does that happen? You made another leap.
2: Yeah, that happened because, <laughs> so I went from doing like molecular biology, which is like bench research.
1: Yes. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking things are there, but you can only either see them in a
2: microscope right. or you can like kind of test them through other experiments. So right. It is kind of like a leap of faith in, in believing that something has happened that you can't actually see. Right. But yeah. so after I graduated, I started you know reading more about neuroscience I took a neuroscience class in college I really loved it but I was already like in this track yeah. <laughs> like, I want to keep taking more classes so I took a step back to figure out like okay what am I doing where, where what am I really interested in and it was it's always been the brain I think since I was a little kid I've been fascinated by the brain like I wanted to be a neurosurgeon when I was a kid but um I just Got really interested in like cognitive and behavioral sciences and like you know why do we make the decisions that we make um how do our surroundings affect the way that uh, our brains register things? and i read this article about virtual reality and started thinking like if if we can change people's reality like how does that impact the way that our brains are wired and like are
1: registering things
0: like mm. how can we manipulate people's perceptions and rather than you know doing experiments because there is that kind of bench neuroscience where you're looking at molecules and you know that kind of things i was more interested in the perceptual aspect of it okay okay so if we um i'm just trying to, to to follow this line of reasoning you if you go from the molecular biology that's literally you can't see what's what's real unless you look through a microscope. But then, Uh you took it that extra step further, which is literally virtual reality, so you have to be even more um, sort of broad in your thinking, like, maybe this is a simulator, maybe it's not, like, you're really taking people for real out (laughs) into another universe, right?
2: Yeah, and, like, if we, I mean, the whole principle of the piece is, like, can we get people to imagine something different? Yes. And we can show them visuals around that and, you know, play with what they think they're saying, what they think that they believe. Yeah. So, like, if we show this empowering experience of black women who are, you know, neuroscientists that are running this lab and doing experiments around virtual reality, is kind of like this meta thing. Yeah. Like, you know, this is part of the narrative, but this is actually
1: also what we're doing. Yes. Um, and that's, you know, VR, I guess, when we made this was, like, 2016, the conversations
2: are much different now, but back then, it was, like, content really wasn't playing with narrative in the same ways as it is now. Like, there were some people who were doing it, but it was mostly, like, demos or games or, like, figuring out how to gamify the technology. Right. And You know, like, so my collaborators, Carmen and Eje and too and I, were, like, we want to make this into a visual, an visual experience. Because that's how we can capture people's attention. And yeah. Like play with the form.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, play with how
2: you experience different spatial yep. things in VR.
0: Yeah. You know, um, again, you're, you're telling me about your background, and I'm thinking, uh, as I told you off air, I studied cinema and theater, right? Uh-huh.
1: So that's another way of uh-huh.
0: snatching people up and like bringing them into your universe, right? Right. This yeah. is like the next dimension of that. And I know for you, you are interested in changing people's perspective like having them think about other people basically as human beings as an experience versus, you know, something else. Mhm. Uh-huh. Do you really think that virtual reality, biohacking, all this new technology can get us to that next level? Do you think you can do that? Hmm.
2: That's a really good question. And I don't know. you know I think that it can be a tool for
1: it mm-hmm. um, I think we have our sensors are so overloaded, you know with like being connected to our phones,
2: being connected to technology that you're adding you're actually subtracting that, I think when you're putting a headset on because you really can't interact with anything else but what's going on in there, you know for, five minutes, ten minutes, however long the experience is, you have so much undivided attention. Yeah, And, um, if anything, that is the only thing that I see right now that is going to be able to break our attention away from everything else that's going on, and so that could be, like, going into VR and having... Meditation experiences, or something that's gonna, you know, strike your sense of disbelief and wonder and sublime because, yeah. I, you know, we don't really have that anymore. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't really know the answer to that, but I'm still really interested in how VR can be a tool for unlearning um, things um, and how, you know, how we can get to a place where people are fearless in the kind of content that they're making and not just falling into these same tropes of. Uh, film and television, you know, where we're yeah. just—we're not getting people to think.
0: You know, um, I can tell that you are—you're very patient. You seem like a very patient <laughs> person. Is that true or false?
2: Um. Yeah. I guess. I guess I could see how that is the case. I actually just read this book about um, late bloomers. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> talking about patience in a world that's built for speed yeah um and yeah i mean like you know we we, the pendulum swings back and forth right like we are in this hyper this space of like hyper speed and hyper awareness and all these things and really i don't think that we as humans are built for that know, like we do reach a saturation point and then what happens when that happens like we try to undo that and try to get back to doing things slowly being more intentional and methodical.
1: Yeah. Um, and
2: especially, like, we really kind of need to figure that out because we need critical movement towards figuring out how to change our environment and how to fix our... Universe. If there is any way to do that, but, like figure out our environmental impact and we need a lot of smart people doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's why, I mean, it seemed disconnected when you were finished speaking about what you spoke about and all of a sudden I'm going, she seems really patient. It's not disconnected in this way. The only way I think you can have the patience to work with virtual reality, slow down, think about how do you disconnect people from the Instagram, the the Facebook, all these different things and get them thinking. Then you add to it the fact that at one point, I know that you had a technical director who was of European descent, and it was a man. I think his name was Todd uh-huh. in his article. Yeah. Todd. I don't know. Okay. So one of the things that I like about the fact that you <laughs> are... article
2: when you read it? I'm like, where
0: the it... <laughs> uh, some Vice article from a few years ago? Oh, yeah, I remember, I remember. That makes sense? That's funny, uh-huh. So <laughs> I think what I like about it, though, is that, that that young man, that person in my mind is, he's teaching at NYU, and he's teaching your topic, though, right? Uh-huh. I think what's beautiful about that is that you and your and your colleagues got the ball rolling, but you have to have strategic alliances to keep it rolling. That's where you get the critical mass. That's why I I'm saying you it. are supremely patient, because you are, like, getting harassed, like, going to see your little mice, you're trying to do your job, you're seeing all this stuff happening in the news, and you still keep coming,
1: you know? Yeah, and I think, too, it's like, you know... ago but like call out culture and like canceling people and doing all these things and like
2: we can't do that you know like we can't we have to figure out how to build communication up and you know we all have to be fighting for each other's rights or else it's not going to work you know we're all going to be siloed and so at the time like there weren't that many black women working in neuroscience or in in also yes, but mm-hmm. also VR. Yeah. And so, like, if someone was interested in the project, they're like, hey, I can help you make this. It's like, yeah, we're, you know, this needs to be out there. Yeah. if you're going to help us make it, let's do it.
0: Right. So then and you, you understand then, or not you understand, but you agree that it's the strategic, respectful alliances. I think that's how to get it done. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of stuck with a great idea that has no, no living space. You know, like, I can't talk to you with all this fantastic technology about these issues without Sergey and his friends from Google. I can't do it. I mean, they made this. I couldn't have found you.
2: I mean, maybe now, you know, know, but we had to get to that point. Yeah. Disability, you know, like, oh, okay, I see this person doing it. Um, maybe I can figure this out,
0: too. Exactly. That's it. And there's, I wrote this down on this piece of paper. You just said the word visibility. So I know, um, again, I was reading some articles, and a couple of times you mentioned being the only person that looks like you in your lab in the early days. Mm-hmm. So uh, my question to you would then be, how do you think that impacted who you became as a scientist? Mm.
2: I think that, for me, I really felt like I had to seek mentorship outside of science. And so, like, I had to be really intentional about, you know, finding women who, you know, who went through something similar in their careers and how they navigated that, but also, like, being that person that I wanted to be. So, like, after I left lab, there were, like, a lot of other black women who came and worked in the same lab and, like, who sought me out to ask me how I did this. And I guess for me, I realized that because I kind of make these, like movements into fields that I see that I'm interested in, there might not be a lot of people who look like me, then I do have to be that person who is, you know, creating space for other people yeah. and making myself available to them.
0: Yeah. So you have to be the person you're waiting for at the end of the day, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's um what I call uh, the involuntary pioneer, right?
2: I guess so, yeah. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Fair I think
2: but sometimes like, you know, when I see something that I'm interested in, it's like not necessarily being a pioneer. It's like, oh this is like imagining what this could be. Yes. Yeah. If, if the space or the field or the um, you know, the tool were to engage with blackness or were to engage with like queerness or you know, all of these other things. It's like, wow, I see how, you know, my lived experience can make this thing better. Yeah, my you know like my perspective can make this thing better. Yeah,
1: or could be a a way for yeah, a way to
2: kind of fix some of the issues that I see. I think that's what I I like, I feel like I like inventing things.
1: Yeah,
2: (laughs) but like you know figuring out how to actually make them happen and put them into practice. Um, those that's like what I'm really interested in. That space. It's like how do I? Okay, so I have this idea of like how I make it. And then that's when I engage my friends, because I have like a lot of friends who right. know how to make things and know how to, how to do uh, really cool things. And I try to
0: surround myself with people like that. This, this is brilliant. Okay, um, I've just got two more questions for this part. And the, the first one would be, if I had to give you a moniker, like this is what she does. This is Ashley Backus clark She is a, how would you finish that? What do I say? Scientist, neuroscientist, biologist. Uh, see, I don't know what to say. I could say... <laughs>
2: hmm, I'm a storyteller and an inventor. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. I like that. And last question... And my tools, I guess, yeah. are science and art. Yes. Yeah. Those are good tools. Mm-hmm. Those are good tools. And I love that you're the face of science in my brain now. I love that. You shifted <laughs> it. You know what I'm saying? You did it. I mean,
1: that's yeah. it. Like,
0: you shifted
2: it's it. I mean, I follow... It's, I was telling my partner this. I really wish Twitter were a big thing um, when I was in grad school because I found so many different, like, black science Twitter groups or, like, groups decolonizing science, and it's really phenomenal to see. It's like, whoa. You know, like, this is... community that I was looking for was a virtual community and so that's why VR is super interesting too because it's like okay maybe you might not this might not be a physical person but if you have this like badass woman who's in VR and you know like you're like whoa this is really cool then yeah maybe that's all the mentorship
0: you need exactly exactly I mean this is not a it's not a question There is one last question, but this is a comment based on on what you just said. I am thinking, all right, so there's no one out there who necessarily looks like Ashley for the young girl who's in high school. They don't know about you, maybe. But just the idea that even in the realm of the imaginary, there's no Ashley is heartbreaking to me. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) Like you've gone in the realm of the imaginary. Like you can't even imagine in virtual reality that there's an Ashley. So you've covered two bases You're real, like you're in this world, and we're we're getting you out there talking about you. But then you're exploring virtual reality so that when people do imagine, they don't automatically imagine someone who doesn't look like you or who is a man. You see what I mean?
2: Right. And also, you know, just thinking about VR doesn't have that sort of mass... um, Disability, yes. In the way of, like, bringing this to attention. So we're always, like, looking for different avenues to bring this story to more people. And so, you know, we're thinking about doing a serial, um, episodic, maybe short or a film or something. And, like, try to build the NSAF world into, like, what Star Wars is. Into this, like, a novel franchise where people want to dress up like the characters to <laughs> Comic-Con.
0: Yeah, so yeah. Build some offshoots of it. That's very, very good. Now, this does lead me to the final question, which is this. Hyphen Labs, I need you to, if you can, tell us what it is, what it was, what it's going to be, and you're still part of it. How, how does all this fit into the, the larger picture? What's going yeah, on? Yeah,
2: like I still collaborate with Hyphen Labs. We, you know, sometimes go apart and do our own projects and come back together. Um, so my two... Um, partners, so Carmen and Eje, they live in London right now they're at the Somerset House and I'm kind of holding down the US but um, it's a experiential design studio like um, medium agnostic so just whatever kind of technology fits the story at the moment um, and we do a lot of work with this production company called Missing Pieces okay. and yeah, it just you know, do sort of branded commercial work, but also try to do projects around big questions. And um, NSF is one of those big questions, and the environment is another one. Um, we just, we're right now United States Artist Grant recipients so we're trying to like figure out how to also bring more awareness around the phenomenal art that's happening at this current moment yeah <laughs> and, you know add yeah. to that add to that kind of rubric so
0: okay that's fantastic okay so we know that you're coming to Amsterdam in September uh-huh. and we are for sure going to have you back for part two of this interview, right? That's exciting. It's super exciting, and I'm going to sign off with this and ask you to just hang on with me after, and we're gonna to okay. touch face a little bit. So, Ashley That's backus nice. Clark, scientist, inventor, thank you so much for joining the Maker Podcast. Thank you, Brad.